Center on 1290 CJB Can. I'm very pleased to welcome some some guests in today. It's always nice to have uh, fresh faces and fresh ideas on this program because it is really essentially a, a program about ideas, about philosophies, and this left, right, and center thing is kind of a, it's it's a handy catchphrase. But we don't necessarily head off in those directions either, and it doesn't necessarily mean that our uh, guests are going to come to verbal blows. Although sometimes that happens, and that's always exciting when it does too. Uh, Lloyd Walker is with us. Lloyd's been a guest on the program before. Nice to have you back again. Thanks, Jim. And Sandra McNee makes her first appearance, and it's very nice to have you here, too. Thank you, Jim. It's nice I've been to be a, here. I must tell you that I have been a fan of yours for some time. You don't know that, but no, I have I been. Yeah. Sandra is very active in our community on a, a wide variety of issues, and I have the greatest of respect. Uh, this may surprise you. People think I'm this nasty old right-winger, and it's not true. I have the greatest of respect for people like like uh, like Sandra, who do such valuable work in our community in a wide variety of areas, too. So thank, it's a great pleasure to you, have Jim. you here. I'm, well, I'm open to being here and open to sharing, and I, I thank you for what you just said. Well, nice to have you here. Uh, with your kind permission, I want to take a look today at a, it, it, and I, I, I recognize it's a very broad issue, but sometimes these broad issues, we do manage to narrow them down, and sometimes they just broaden out even more. But I had a an interesting chat on the weekend with a young lady who was in her uh, young woman. Well, she's a lady too, so I'll call her yes. lady, whatever. Um, in her early 20s. And we were talking about what she referred to as social responsibility. And I, I don't know exactly what the phrase means. I think it means different things to different people. But she was talking about the responsibility that she felt as a young person in our society to uh, particularly her grandparents' generation. That's how we got started in the conversation. And then, because it's what I do, I started exploring other things that she believed and other things she's thought about. And, and, and we, we got down to the issue of the role of the individual as expressed through the collective in looking after people who are disadvantaged in our society. It was very interesting to me because she felt a very st strong moral compunction to meet whatever needs her grandparents had as they, as they entered their old age. And she felt that the, the certainly demands were going to be put on her. She came from a one-parent family. Her father's deceased, so her mother did not have any particular resources. And she was very well educated and continuing her education, expected to be quite well off at some point in the not-too-distant future as a result of the, all the work she'd put in. She was absolutely committed to meeting the needs of her grandparents in this personal sense. And then we started talking about the needs of the community at large or someone else's grandparents. And, and she was quite upfront and said, well... I understand, in theory, why that's a good idea, but I don't feel that way. I don't believe that I have that responsibility. I think the responsibility is within my family, and beyond that, it's somebody else's. Lloyd, I want to ask you, if you'd, been, if you'd been talking with her and she'd said that to you, where would you have gone with the conversation? I mean, would you, is she right? Is she right that ultimately, and she said to me, I think those people have a responsibility to take care of themselves. I have a responsibility to take care of me and mine, and that's where it ends. Well, I'd, I'd have to say that I'd start off by agreeing with her general point of view in that it's completely understandable that someone would want to take care of their own, shall we say. Uh, you, you always care about your family. Let's face it, you celebrate your family members' birthdays. You don't, on one day, just go, oh, it's somebody's birthday. It's just not that, that kind of a relationship. So, so you deal with people on that basis, and I think we all want to take care of our family and make sure that the people close to us are well taken care of. When you have, and you made the point that uh, 
she feels she's going to be well off in the future. It may well be when a person is well off, they, they do have a little more uh, freedom, in, in a rather loose sense of that word, mm -hmm. to, to help other people. Uh, I, I would say it's a shame if someone thinks that everything ends at their family limits. Uh, that this is a society, it's based on relationships between people, and I think most people, when they realize that they have that responsibility to take care of themselves, can see other people who are having problems and are willing to help them. I think the vast majority are. Uh, I think I'm glad to say that the majority of people I've spoken to would not stop at the rather arbitrary limit that I think she's set. Uh, I, th I think you have to uh, look at it. When you say it's somebody else's job to take care of it, what you're doing is saying, it's not mine. Uh, and and I, I've got to agree, it's not her job. But if you care about a society and you care about people in it, I think that's when people take action. What about the argument, though, that the people in many cases in our society, in our communities, who find themselves in need of this kind of help, not in all cases, but in many, they're there as a result of decisions they've made and actions they've taken. And now they don't want to put a very painted, a very broadest brush. They don't want to pay the price for their ill-considered actions. Uh, now, now you, you're absolutely correct there. People have to res accept responsibility for their actions. And to me, that means if you make a good deci decision and reap a reward from it, it's yours. If you make a bad decision and there are consequences, you have to suffer them. And I think part of suffering those consequences is that... Uh, you have to be willing to say, I messed up, please help me. Where I, I kind of draw the line is that I don't like the idea that someone can say, I messed up, you owe me. Which is the current society that we, we live in, where we tend to have this belief that uh, there's a sense of entitlement. Sam? Yeah. I'm not sure our society does have that does have that belief. And I was nodding my head as we went along mm -hmm. here, um, in that if we do make... Um, in all good reason, make a bad mistake. We 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 take the we take the consequences of that. But um, in the experience I've had in the last 13 years of being a, of someone who walks in community, um, I don't I don't have hear that attitude of somebody owes me. I know that that's what is said often, um, and perhaps reinforced by an occasional terribly obvious uh, example. You know, but it I was wanna... the case that when uh, welfare was reduced by the Harris government, that a group took, wanted to take it to court. Yes. So oh. this violated their rights, and I'm thinking, yeah. okay, there's a group of people who say, "You owe me." That's my well. You know. Okay, here we go. Um, my if my net pay that I took home each month went down a fifth, all of a sudden, I'd have to make some pretty tough adjustments. And that's what happened to people who were on disability pensions and who were on uh, social assistance. Think about your net pay when, when you're paid at the end of the month for your job and subtract a fifth of it. And um, it was a dreadful shock. And for people on social assistance, it meant, oops, some food money's gone. And it, it is that basic. Um, for people in the market rent area, it meant, uh-oh, it, more of my rent money is is out of the, it, more of my money has to go to rent. Can I go back to the to the young woman though? And we, may, we, may, we may come back. We may come back to this because I think um, I have found London a very caring society, but people need to meet the folks who are suffering the hardships to get rid of the myths. And I quite frankly, I'm, I've been frustrated over the years about how do we 
lead people. I suspect if you came and walked with me for a couple of days, mm-hmm. some of your language would, would change. Um, and one of the reasons for accepting the invitation to come on this show was I didn't know what we were going to talk about. I thought, maybe this is another way I can begin to say the the gimme because I'm I'm sitting on my behind and not doing anything attitude is very much a minority not not a lot of people are saying that well, I don't think it's give me because I'm sitting on behind and on my behind you're not going to be that thing. tough I think no I, I think you're right I think that that is a minority mm-hmm. but I think there is a general idea that this money that other people worked for and earned and was taken from them in taxes that there is an entitlement to that. And I think that that's a problem. I think people have to realize that when you say, you know, when you say we're going to give you this, well, what we're going to do is we're going to reach into somebody else's pocket. We're going to take it, and uh, that, well, that should get, not be something that personal. you can just. I don't. I don't mind if my. I don't mind paying taxes on my income, and I am really glad that that tax is shared with my neighbors. I want to. You used the word there, and I'm with you, saying I don't mind that either, but. Marion Boyd sat in the very chair where Lloyd's sitting here three or four years ago. And again, somebody I have the greatest yes, respect me for. Too. Yeah. Um, and Marion and I got a discussion. She used the word entitlement, and I kind of pulled her up short. I said, wait a minute, I, th- this is a word I'm not accustomed to in, in the Canadian context. And we talked about that for a bit, rather heatedly, as I recall. And, and, and her point was, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing any stones at, at Marion at all, but this was no. the context of the conversation. She said, well, no, these people are entitled to that and entitlement is the correct word and when we debated that for a while that was the correct word now I don't know whether she still believes that or not she and I haven't talked about that for a while but that was kind of was a wake up call for me in a sense because I had not and maybe I was not involved in the proper conversations I hadn't heard that position stated as clearly nor by someone of her stature say this is not we don't do this because it's the right thing the moral thing the proper thing we do this because these people are entitled mm-hmm. to that money and, and, and like Lloyd and like a great many Ontarians, I, th- I think that for me is the stumbling block. Yeah. The idea that, that I am compelled to do that, that, that they deserve, and I would say they, I don't mean in a disparaging sense at all, because I might be one of they someday. But this idea that they have a right to this money instead of a right to expect, and I think this is different, a right to, ex- to, to expect compassion from a compassionate society. Yeah, I'd have to go home and look up the word entitlement in the, in the dictionary, but the word justice comes to me, or the word just. Um, and I wondered if I wonder if that's what Marion was thinking at the time. If we live in a society where we um, care about people in the old shalom tradition of the Jewish community, then we will provide. Do you remember the old story where they left the gleanings in the corners of the fields mm-hmm. so that people didn't feel they were having a handout, they could go pick up the grains. And sh- that, that to me is justice, and that may be a cousin to the word entitlement. I'm, I'm not sure. I'll have to go, to go look that one up. Uh, as you were talking and, and describing the young woman, too, uh, and talking about her family, I often find in people who get concerned in their community, it starts with family. And bless them if they have a family. Many of the folks I walk with are, are um, there isn't any support. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there hasn't been the privilege of grandparents. From, family tends to go to then neighborhood. Or I'm old enough to have grown up in a village in rural Ontario. Mm-hmm. Where you, the sense of neighbor. And you remember Hillary Clinton's book of It Takes a Village to Raise mm-hmm. a Child. I think it works in reverse, don't you? Where we, the village, care for our seniors. We, the village, care for people who are disadvantaged. But you raise, you raise a good point there about the, 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 uh, the Jewish tradition. Because what they did there is they did leave the gleanings. And the people went and accessed those 
on their own. They expended the time, effort, and energy to do that. Yeah. And I suspect that one of the problems that many people in our society today have with the whole issue of and, and I, I even hate using this word now because so many other connotations of welfare, all these mm -hmm. other things. But the idea that we are going to reach out to people in need, one of the problems is that they're not gleaning anymore. At least people have this perception they're not gleaning anymore. That we are now expected to, to, to clear harvest the whole field, process the whole field, and then holus bolus give them whatever they want. Well, Jim, I see my taxes as my gleanings. You see, and I look at that differently in that sense. I think that you measure a caring community by the actions of the people within the community in mm -hmm. taking care. You don't measure a caring community by the government programs it has. Yeah. I, I think it's based on individual action, caring and taking action that way. I don't think you measure it by what government program do we do, do we have to hand Senator, money what do you think, what would happen, do you think, if we removed the, all the social service component from our taxes and rebated all that money to people? Um, we know, you know, and I know that there are an awful lot of good-hearted people in this community. People mm -hmm. that, in addition to their taxes, contribute yes, significantly. Absolutely. Where do you think we'd be, though, if, if that were to happen? Would those people contribute enough? Do people care enough? Or do they have to be forced to care? I mean, which is the point that Lloyd takes exce exception to, doesn't want to be forced to yeah, do this. I, I, um, I would say that I think we probably care enough to share. If we got rid of um, all the system, um, our problem is that we're 300,000 people, and where's, where's the little clusters of, of community? But um, no, I, I lived in a housing co-op one for seven years uh, between recessions, because uh, we had to. We, mm -hmm. Times were tough, and, but I also was there philosophically, too. And uh, there were high-income people, working people, those of us who who were students, those of us who were um, still looking for work. And the money got pooled, and we all shared housing. And it was just, it's really been my only glimmer of what it would be like to have um, a cluster of people living together, um, sharing. Um, and it had its rough edges. Mm -hmm. My philosophy's got... Um, uh, challenged quite a bit, but there was a core a core of us who really believed in it, and I'd go back to living in a housing co-op, too. That's my only practical e example of it. Um, people don't like um, to be on a welfare roll. Um, it's, um, people don't like to receive Christmas hampers, but they have to because there isn't enough money for any extras at Christmas. And when Christmas hamper day comes in the community where I happen to share, um, I call it the eye avoidance day. Um, I just like uh, the adults are, you can feel their hearts saying, but they don't put it, they don't put it in words most times. Uh, oh gee, I, I wish I didn't have to, but I'm going to accept this. And, and they are gracious as they accept, as are the people who come in. And the eye avoidance isn't just on the part of the recipients. The eye avoidance is from the people who are privileged enough to come in with their cars and, and the hampers. I think it would, be, would it be any different if, and of course it does happen in personal context, but I had the experience a few years ago with a friend of mine who was involved in a Christmas Eve distribution. Mm -hmm. And he came away absolutely bitter by it. He said these people were angry. Yeah. They were resentful. Mm -hmm. He said, I didn't understand what was going on. He said, I thought I was helping. I thought I volunteered mm -hmm. my Christmas Eve to do this. I thought it was a positive thing. Yeah. And he was shocked and astounded 
I guess um, the question there sorry, is, were, were they angry or were they embarrassed? Well, yeah. and, and, probably, you know, probably em- embarrassed, and the yeah. you know the anger maybe was the reaction of many of them to that. But I, I guess that brings me back around to the next question here: Why should we, in a in a community where we accept that it's a, ca- a caring community, why should people feel that? Why should they feel bad about having to do this? If in fact they do buy into the idea that we all have a mutual responsibility and if in fact people on welfare today would be only too happy tomorrow when they're off it to turn around and help others then why should any of us feel bad about accepting help from someone who's offering it in in, in good conscience exactly actually i think there there is a reason and and, uh, it goes back to this almost a sense of entitlement where when you get a welfare check it's very clean it's it's kind of like the uh, you know the bomber that drops bombs from above and never sees the war that happens. It's, it's very impersonal, shall we say. But when somebody actually gives you something as a handout, there's a personal relationship there, and that places one person in the position of not being entitled to and getting what they deserve, but in actual fact, in being a position of actually being in a charitable situation where they're having to say thank you and they're the recipient of someone's charity. And that, I think, can be a humbling thing. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's entirely bad. Well, maybe, well I was well, going to say maybe that maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's a, an argument in favor of a more institutionalized redistribution. Yeah. Of I, no, I don't. I don't resources. think doing it impersonally is the answer. You know, it's funny. Sandra made the comment about, you know, where are the people in three hundred thousand? Uh, me, one of the biggest problems I see is when you start creating. I don't want to use a word like ghetto or anything like that. If, but if you create small communities where everybody is subsidized. There's nobody around them. There's no yeah. neighbors they that's, can lean on. Okay, that's what if I was they're scattered to... through the community, mm-hmm. suddenly, if my next door neighbor that I, you know, talk to over the fence and y- you joke with and that kind of thing is suddenly in trouble, well, there's a relationship there already, and you're much more likely to help. I, I, I think one of the worst things we can do is I hate to say it, but uh, co-op housing and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. as in government subsidized housing, I no, think is no, generally no, no, no. You're not hearing me. Uh, no, um, I, I'm saying it's a bad approach in that it it creates these isolated communities of people where I would like to see if the government really wants to help people, direct help to those who need help, and, you know, let them live throughout no, but see, We all lived in townhouses, very fine townhouses in northwest London. One neighbor worked in, a, in an auto shop. One neighbor was a university oh, professor. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to say it does work if... Mm-hmm. Yes. If, if there's that broader base to it. it yes. yes. Yeah, we, weren't, we weren't ghettoized. You, no, you can't have... A, I don't think that would work if every person there was on welfare. That's right. That can't work. But if, you have, work. if you have the diversity, then people will, will, I think, help one another. I think that's the key of responsibility. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. The key here is your interest and involvement in our program, and the lines are open at 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. If you have a question or a comment, we invite you to join my guests today, Sandra McNee and Lloyd Walker, and we'll continue with the program right after this. And our program continues. Sandra McNee is with us and Lloyd Walker, and we've been talking about, well, a lot of things kind of revolving around community responsibility, individual responsibility, and, and, and compassion in our community. Sandra, I, I yeah. want to come back to something you said a moment or two ago, and then, we'll, we'll, as I said earlier, we'll go anywhere you, you folks want to go, but you, you, you said when I asked you, do you think it would still work if we eliminated the kind of the government formality and the yeah. uh, and uh, essentially the compulsion to pay? And you said you thought it would, and quite frankly, I think you're right. Why then is there such a resistance from people, many people on the left, to moving even a little bit in that direction? 
Well, I want to go just back a bit to, to Lloyd saying that, you know, the, the welfare check came clean and dropped down like manna or something. No, it, it uh, comes with all kinds of uh, uh, punitive measures around it, and, and it, um, it isn't adequate. Um, so I'll just I'll say that till we've improved things. It, the welfare amount that people are paid as single people or as young couples or as moms with children is not adequate. So it just I want, I want to make that statement really really yeah, clear. I think, I think you're quite right. The, the, dr the dreamy side of me, the visionary side of me, says I think it would work if we as people are together in groups. But there's a whole a political mentality in, circulating, and we just came from that little exercise on June the 3rd, um, that says there is a group of people that are lazy, there is a group of people that we need to police and, and patrol and be punitive with. And that myth or that ideology is, is preached at us. Um, um, through papers, through uh, political statements that are being made. And people hear that and people believe that. And I think that would be the biggest barrier to any, I any move that would be to how, something more equal. How much of it, though, is that, with the greatest of respect to people who find themselves in this situation, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to comprehend, um, and maybe it's just my failing, this idea that society has this distorted view of this because of what society is being told by someone, whether it's the media or right-wing politicians or whomever. Because the media and right-wing politicians tell people all sorts of other things that people don't believe. Yeah, I don't think people do believe it. I think people will recognize that there, there are indeed some people who are lazy and do take advantage, just like any other program that's set up. Well, a lot of people working in jobs today are doing in, the same thing. You got it. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so I mean, I, I don't think that shocks people when they hear that, oh, yeah, there's somebody who's taking advantage of, of any system. And, uh, I, but I don't believe anybody really thinks that everyone does. I'm sure that every person here living in a society has met someone who, through some reason, no fault of their own, has run into trouble. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, I... I I have a hard time believing that uh, that anyone thinks that everyone that's on welfare welfare receiving some kind of subsidy, you know, is lazy. And that uh, I I was, uh, but I, I've got to jump back to a point and just say that Sandra, you're the first person on the left I have ever heard say that they believe that we could take care of our own without the government programs. Yeah. Seriously, you are the first person I have always had the belief, and you you just hit me where it hurts. And that is that, quite frankly, that the left wing has a tendency to say, as a collective, we're wonderful people, but individually, we're lousy. Mm. And you just turned around and said, basically, that as mm. individuals, we can do it. And I'm really pleased I'm, to hear that. I'm glad to be wrong. And I'm coming from my faith perspective, as you, as you might expect, mm. too. I'm also socialist enough to believe that um, what the work that I do is of value and, and I need enough money to have a house and clothing and shelter and the work mm -hmm. you do, Jim and mm -hmm. Lloyd, and, and someone at, um, in somewhere else that makes more than all of us, but that we could have more equalization of, of wages too. And the mom that I just left in the plaza, in, up in uh, where I was having a chat with her about her children in school, um, she deserves um, enough for adequate clothing, adequate housing, food. She's working hard, too. Um, and that's the socialism in me or the, the shalom in me or the justice in me um, that is, um, I want to call it visionary as opposed to pie in the sky. And in a little wee bit, wherever we are placed in life, we work toward that. 
I, I guess my the question that comes to my mind is when you say you know she should get get whatever. I, that's that's when I start looking at well, how does the government enforce, or how can anyone enforce that a person doing job X is worth this much and. Uh, yeah, for well, example, I'm talking radical socialism here. Well, well, you definitely are because what, you, what now? What you're talking about is the uh, you, you've gone from we we could take care of one another freely, on an on a, on a voluntary basis, to a system that no. absolutely depends on compulsion. No, no, I'd live in that housing co-op I talked about, mm -hmm. yeah. and I'd pool the money, uh, and I'd. Uh, and it was a voluntary action, the group of you. Absolutely. And and as a voluntary action, I have no problem with it. Yeah. But when, when you we, use force, when you use yeah. the compulsion of government, that's when I have to draw the line. But that our government system came out of uh, depression times when there wasn't a system to help. Maybe our it's time to change. Well, I, I don't know. I'm in a I'm in a plateau of thinking actually. I've just come through the campaign as, mm -hmm. as you have politically and uh, I'm doing a lot of a lot of processing and but I, Medicare um, I um, I had a childhood illness that caused my parents to be poor because there wasn't medical coverage. I knew they were paying bills. They didn't say things are tough because you're a sick kid. That they wouldn't do that. They're loving parents. But um, to take some of that stress off, that kind of collective sharing, and that's what government is in my head, that makes sense to me. And to not have people um, too hungry, let's have some mandatory um, sharing so that someone isn't too hungry. If we can't do it in little clusters, and we can't. We live in a city of 300,000 people. Can't have little happy co-ops with people sharing collectively. Then let's have some structure. I see government as the structure isn't that the, helps us. The fear, though, uh, uh, Sandra, if I can <coughs> for a second. And Howard, we're going to get to you. Howard's waiting in the line. I'll be there in just a second. Um, I think the fear for many people when they hear what you've just said is not so much the idea that they're opposed to some kind of uh, more equitable sharing, because mm -hmm. many of them take steps on their own to e yes. equalize it, if you will. It's that once we set off down that path at any kind of speed, that the speed will continue to build, and it will become, well, okay, we've, we've sort of, now everybody's fed and clothed, and nobody's hungry anymore. Now it's time for everybody to have the same automobile. Now it's now everybody needs to have a vacation to Barbados every year, mm -hmm. and we if we can afford it. Of course, you, I mean, yeah. look at the numbers. We can afford. We could send everybody to the Barbados if we just kind of spread the money around more. And I had the opportunity uh, during the election to debate the leaders of the communist and Marxist-Leninist parties, mm -hmm. and that was precisely their point that there is no line to be drawn at where government interference stops. Their exact point was that, that, uh, yeah, you make sure people are fed, you make sure they have the clothes, you make sure they have the house, you make sure they have TB. Oh, they've got to have cable. And it just went on. It went through every facet of, yeah. and, and the of our life. And the problem with that is, in my experience, 50 years on the planet looking around, the problem is that, and this whole thing of human nature seems to pop up again, that you reach a point where you're taking from one, giving to another, where the, where the one who is, for whatever reason, is producing more, stops producing. Mm -hmm. and says, I'm not going to do it anymore, or I'm, I'm just not going to work hard anymore. Yep. And that leads to social stagnation, and the economy crumbles, and we're mm -hmm. way back to worse than we were when we started. Yep. Is there a solution to that? How do we define how far we can afford to go? Big, big question, you know. Um, the, the Jubilee year is, uh, is another concept where a 
every 50 years. Mm-hmm. We just level things out. Yeah. <coughs> and, uh, the Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition yeah. again. I don't mm-hmm. know why this is coming up today in my head, but it is. Um, uh, we should perhaps explain that. It would, the idea was that every 50 years... Uh, uh, loans, uh, debts were uh, mm-hmm. wiped away, and loans yeah. were forgiven, and yeah. so on and so on. Yeah, and people are talking about that. And he, uh, um, Mr. Martin has has agreed in Ottawa that uh, we forgive some of the third world debt mm-hmm. to give them a chance to produce their own clothing, and so on. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answer, Jim. Um, and and the, certainly the things I've said just previously are are um, I don't want to call myself dreaming, but hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have the practical answer to that. And I think we share the same hopes. Hope. Yeah, Only we have, we have different go- ways of getting there. Yeah. Well, let's go to the phones, because Howard's been hoping to get on here for the last five minutes or so. Good morning, Howard. Oh, good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, I think uh, uh, welfare should be established as a right, as long as it's not used as a way of life. That is a temporary uh, uh, solution to the problem of unemployment, or, mm-hmm. and not always unemployment. Sometimes it's due to ill health or mental health or... What kind of restrictions would you put on it then, Howard, to ensure that? There's some some way you would have to do to the long-term ones. You'd have to go and find out why mm-hmm. you'd need uh, that investigated. What if you find out that they just, they like it that way? What, what would you do with those people then, that small percentage? Well, you'd have to use some kind of motivating force to get them interested and... Uh, in supporting themselves, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, but isn't that essentially, Sandra? That's exactly the problem we're faced with today, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The people. Well, that... I mean, uh, you, you, nothing's perfect in this world. Yeah. yeah. I guess you can make a perfect society, yeah. but you can make it uh, take the rough edges off. Well, and that... now the people in Europe. I've talked to some people in Europe, uh, and they said, "What here in North America? What you call socialism? We call it civilization." And that was, when they when they say socialism, well, it's not the same socialism no. like Marx and that kind no, of stuff. No. But they're, they're talking about their uh, their way of no, looking that's after. A, that's things. a very good point, Howard. Yeah. I appreciate your call today. Uh, I just like to point out one more thing. Yes, these people who say that the that that the, the state has no business in this or that, uh, they're probably benefiting from uh, from. Uh, depressing wages. Well, I think that's a kind of a broad generalization. I know. Well, I, I'm uh, one of those people, and I'm yes. just an employee of someone. I, I don't really have any gain in depressing wages, anything like that. No, I no, just I believe that you. if I care about something... No, you said the people who believe the state has no role, and I'm one of them. And and I've got to tell you, I, I don't think the state has the role. I think well, we I as individuals can help. And, 100%. Uh, you know, it, it's not based on any idea that I want to reduce wages or anything anything like that. It's simply the fact that I think people can do it individually and we don't need the compulsion of government. I want to say something first because because you made the point there that, that people who, who say that the state has no business, it could equally be said, Howard, that perhaps the people who want the state to intervene are people who are going to benefit from that. Yes, uh, but uh, I'd like to say one thing. When wartime comes along, they take the youth of the country and uh, the, you talk about minimum wage. In the two world wars we had, <laughs> minimum wage, it wasn't even a wage. Yeah. And then the state has a right to do that, and all these guys that were pre- preaching against welfare, they say, hooray, that's, that's the way to go. 
No, you, you, you know, you got to have some kind of consistency. Well, I, I, I think you've got that exactly backwards. I, 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 I think I've got to tell you, I don't believe in uh, in a draft or any compulsory service. I, I don't think that anybody should be able to take anyone away. Quite, well, we'd have been frankly. living under the Nazis, and then you would had no, then you no, would have no, had no, no rights frankly, whatsoever. No, quite frankly, whether a person will voluntarily go and fight and enlist in the in the army, and in circumstances like that, if someone attacks Canada, yes, I'm going to be there to help. But the fact is, no, I don't think the government has the right to bring conscription in. There I were more volunteers wrong. than conscript, conscriptees in World War II, Howard. There weren't enough uh, volunteers. Well. So the, you make up the losses we had in Europe there. Yeah. I, I, I think we could probably debate that story. But, Howard, I appreciate your call today. It's good to hear from you, as always. Okay. Take bye. care. We do have to pause for a moment. We'll be back with more on Left, Right, and Center here with my special guest today, Sandra McNee and Lloyd Walker. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Sandra McNee and Lloyd Walker with us uh, on this edition of the program. We've been having what to me has been a very interesting discussion. I hope you're enjoying it at home as well. Um, if we can come back to that young woman I talked about earlier, um, I think we face, if she's representative of her generation, and I don't know whether she is or not, and Sandra, you would probably have a much better idea. that You're much more out into the community in general than I am. Um, but if she's representative of her generation, and she was in her early to mid-twenties, seems to me we're in for a rocky road here over the next 10, yeah, 20, I don't know if she's, if she's representative. Certainly, uh, Jim, a lot of young people come in and say, can, can I help you? Um, um, university students who want um, the experience of, of being in community because they're from out of the province mm -hmm. or something. So I, I do see a lot of young people caring, um, in the election, I saw a lot of young, heard a lot of young people caring about our environment, mm -hmm. and uh, with a with a passion. And thank goodness, because I feel my generation uh, has failed has failed in that regard. And mm -hmm. I, um, even though we even though we've tried, um, I don't know if it may be a lack of awareness with this uh, young woman, or I'm, I don't know. I would feel sad if she said, all of, all her life, it's just family. Um, I, I would be surprised if it's that way. I, I, yeah. think I see it in politics as well. When, we, when you look at getting people involved, mm -hmm. uh, you can get people who are students and university students, and they, they have the time. Then suddenly a person moves into that stage of their life where they're starting to settle down, they've got that, that job started, maybe a family has started, all that, and it, it tends to, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, it tell, tends to be very self-centered. Mm -hmm. They've got these concerns to that they be have to take care of. Yeah. yeah, you've got to take care of the mortgage and the, and, and the bills, and you've got to take care of all those things first. And I think what happens is as... Uh, as we, and maybe mature isn't the right word, but as we get older and we become a little more secure financially and things like that, I think, I think at that point the limits start to expand. So it's not surprising that it was somebody, say, in their, in their, their early 20s, mm -hmm. where I think if you talk to that same person in 20 years, you may find that she's quite willing to, yeah, I've been helping my grandparents out, maybe at that time, hopefully not, her grandparents aren't there, and suddenly she says, well, I can help these other people, there's my neighbor, there's this, and, and uh, I, I think that's a tendency that people do have as they become more secure themselves. There's a, almost like a hierarchy where you've got to take care of yourself, then your family, then, and, and I think it's an ever-expanding thing for most people. There was a, a discussion I had with a, a government official some months ago, and he was talking about the demands that were going to be placed on our community in the next, and I forget what the time frame is, and I, I really feel badly about that. I should phone him and check it, but somewhere five, six, seven, eight years, and this, it was less than ten years, in the city of London, estimates are that the demands on the 
good nature of Londoners are going to exceed $500 million to, to meet the various projects and things, the hospital being a major one, of yeah. course, but there are many, many more. Yeah. And his point was, we're simply, those dollars are not there. And it got me to thinking, well, these are all, quote, worthy projects, or most of them. There's probably a couple of pork barrels in there somewhere, but for the most part, they're worthy projects. They are extra-governmental projects, and they're going to come to the people of, of our city over the next, again, five, six, seven, eight years, trying to raise five hundred million dollars. Those dollars aren't there. Now, the alternative to that, of course, is to increase taxation and get the money that way. But the money isn't there either way. You know, well, when, there, when, there are people I that would disagree know. with you. No, no, you see, I, I do disagree with that because, uh, you know, if the money isn't there, it, it simply isn't there. I mean, a big, a big part of the thing that you, you run into is, and I, I think I heard it earlier on your show, was the attitude that, uh, wait a second, the government is supposed to be in charge of this. Why are people coming to my door asking yeah. for more money? Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's a, a great hesitation. When, when the government reaches into your wallet and takes enough money out of it, that you start saying, well, what on earth are they doing with it? And I, that's probably healthy that people start to question that. But I, I think uh, when, when you say if the money isn't there that people can raise it voluntarily, then quite frankly, I don't think it is there because I think it's going to cause too much damage when you take it. Okay. I'll, Sandra, uh, I get the not, sense you disagree with that. Well, yeah, yeah. and I don't, have, uh, I don't have figures, so I'm going to speak in generalities, but um, I wish I did have that chart that shows uh, the percentage of wealth and how uh, those of us who thought, we were, uh, thought I was at the bottom of the middle class have been pretty well squeezed, uh, squeezed out. And there's a shift, so there's a very elite part of our society that has major wealth. Oh, I, I and, and let's and I'm not, let's, I'm not let's of that. share. I, well, I'm not envious, but if I also know, and I do know, um, a percentage of our society who is hungry today, because mm -hmm. the child tax credit comes Friday, um, I want to live in a Canada where there's enough sharing from the elite to at least have people eating out of it. And yet the elite would make the point, the financial elite, that they do pay large amounts of dollars in taxes. So we and, and as... There is one other thing, just if I can, and I'll, and I'll jump back to the NDP campaign in the last okay. election. Yep. Uh, we're going to remove the uh, the tax... 30% tax credit from, from for the people top. over 80,000. Okay, thoughts. people yep. over 80,000. Uh, I heard, and, and it was Irene Matheson that made the comment that, you know, this, this money that the, the people have got they haven't spent it in their community. They've invested it in stocks and done this and that. And I'm going, well, if you invest it in stocks and, and that kind of thing, you're supporting the community. What, what I found lacking in the whole presentation about we're going to get this $1.5 billion in taxes is where is that $1.5 billion now in the economy and what harm is going to be done when you remove it? And I think that's a very serious concern. And that's why I, I made the comment that when you say the money isn't there, it isn't there. The only way it's going to happen is if a government is willing to run up more debts. And at that point, you've got to start saying, yeah, these are all good a, causes, but we can't use them. We need a fourth person at this table that has an, a background in economics. <laughs> um, no, I'm not sure that would help. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I haven't heard too many of them disagree. Um, but the, the argument that I hear others giving is that um, those investments, some are offshore, some, you know, that, that it isn't spent back in, spent back in our economy. But, but um, you earlier made the comment that... 
you know, in an ideal how, society, how great, it, how great it was that Paul Martin was saying we're going to forgive some third world debts. Absolutely. And so, if that money is invested offshore in in other countries and that kind of thing, you're helping poor people there. Oh no, that's not, kind of, that's I, like I, not I, the kind of offshore I'm talking oh, you're about. Talking about somebody for profit, uh, putting your money in in a corporation that's uh, south of the border or somewhere else. It, you know, and I know from just from reading books that many of our helps from the Canadian government are tied with, we'll help you, this developing country, provided you buy this much equipment from us. And well, because that's the, the kind of... Yes. Because yes. Essen but es essentially, that's what the help is. That What we're really doing, and we, and we talked about the economists before, and I've talked with economists about this, what we are doing to a certain extent is we're not giving them any money at all. We are giving sure. them the goods. We're giving them the, the boatload of tractors. Mm -hmm. Now we, we go through the process and the and, and the sham of giving the Sham's money, right. then they then they buy the tractors. But why do we do that? Because the people who live in Canada who build tractors are making a living from that too. <laughs> the government ulti ultimately is subsidizing the tractor, the guy who puts the nuts and bolts on the tractors. Yeah, there's yeah. a great deal of that. There's also been, been situations where and I think it was Brazil, the Canadian government gave uh, gave money to help set up a factory and I believe it was a factory that was making scissors but we have scissor manufacturers here who have to compete with it and they ended up putting a tariff on the scissors coming from Brazil so <laughs> but yeah, that's you know, but that's that, I don't think that's less, that's less symptomatic what economics are, or or uh, uh, the reality of the economic world than it is stupid government policy I mean yeah. somewhere somewhere there should have been somebody whether who was awake enough and with a mandate to say we're not going to do this, yes. obviously, because yeah. it's a stupid thing to do. Yeah, I mean, here we are giving on one hand, take from the other. But to go back to the thing about about the taxes, and, and Sandra, I'm very concerned about this, too, because I don't know how we solve this problem. I have no clue. It is, if we do extort, and, and at, at this point, people in the higher income brackets will tell you they believe it is extortionate. They're already paying more than 50% of what they earn. Yeah. If we do extort more money from them, they are going to, and they will do it, because we have seen it, whether we like it or not, they're going to pack up and leave. They don't yeah. have to stay here. Big, big article in McLean's uh, back a yes. week. Yeah, we week. Just, about well, we interviewed exactly the lady that. who wrote that just yesterday, oh, in the pro or the day before yesterday on the yeah. program. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that is a hard, cold reality. Unless yeah. we say, no, you can't leave the country, nor can your capital, and then what kind of country Stagnate our country, yeah. So how? I don't know. Yeah. Well, the three of us right. can't figure it out. Well, 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 well I, I'm not the one that's in favor of uh, of uh, raising their taxes and driving them out. Nor am I in favor of putting up barriers that tell them they have to stay so here. So where do we get the 500 million if, in fact, we need it? Or or is the argument that we don't need it? Well, I, I think you have to look at it. If you say the money isn't there, and I'm going to accept that premise that the money isn't there, then you've got to take a look at, say, what money is there? What are we spending it on? Yeah. Well, here's, you're, you're, you're talking take, about priorities. Well, here's, a, here's, an option, priority. here's an option, Absolutely. just an example. This $300 million we're going to spend on our health care system in the, yes. in the city of London. Uh, I'm, I'm in favor of that, and I said earlier today, because I'm a very selfish individual, I want that system there when I need it. However, you could make the case that the system we have today isn't the worst in the world by a long shot. Mm -hmm. Even stumbling and fumbling as it is, it still provides pretty good <coughs> health care. Yes. There's some weights and so on, but compared to most mm -hmm. of the planet, we're pretty good. What if we took that $300 million and invested it, and invested it cleverly and got 8 or 10% a year? We'd have $30 million a year, every single year, to put into all sorts of other social programs in our, in our city. Now, some of us might die a little sooner. But maybe not. If we if we use some of that thirty million dollars to provide better education about health care and maintaining good health Ad and, and all of that stuff, so you're naturally healthy. So Actually, that's that's the uh, to me when when you talk about Jesse's journey, that whole idea of setting up a ten million dollar uh -huh. endowment fund yeah. so that there will be a steady income to support something. Yeah. To me, 
there's a good idea. Mm -hmm. You know, that is how it should be done. You well, shouldn't just hand over a million dollars and say spend it. Both of you are kind of nodding on this one. Are we are we doing the wrong the wrong thing? Then maybe it's the priorities about what we think are important. Maybe that's where we're misusing the money. Maybe we don't need to spend $300 million on hospitals to make us better. Maybe we should spend a fraction of that to keep us from getting sick in the first That's place. That's right. Have ad adequate That's food, adequate nutrition for prenatally. Um, I think it's called but, prevention and wellness. Adequate training, too, because yeah. many, many people in our society don't want to go down that road even when it's pointed out clearly to them. Lack of knowledge. So yeah, some of it would true. be an educational component. Yes. We do have to yeah. pause for just a second. We'll be back. Stay with us. Well, I'm not sure that we've uh, settled anything today, and that's just fine, because the program is not about uh, finding solutions hard and fast. It's about exploring alternatives and sharing thoughts and sharing opinions. And I want to thank my two guests today. I've been particularly impressed with the exchange of ideas between the two of them. Not to, not to denigrate any of our previous guests on this, but it's been very uh, refreshing for me. It's a different kind of discussion with Lloyd Walker and Sandra McNeil. And I want to thank both of you for uh, participating as much as you did today. Was, thank uh, you. Thank you, Jim. It was Thanks uh, for having me here. Nice to be here and just um, kind of relax and chat, and I hope the people enjoyed listening to us. Well, this is, that's what this part of the program is about, is relaxing and chatting, and I think, we, I think we did our job today. I hope you folks at home will agree. Uh, and I extend an open invitation to uh, both of you to rejoin us at any time. Love to have thank, either of you. Thank you very much. Lloyd, of course, has been here before, and Sandra, I hope we'll, look, we'll thank be you. able to see I'd you I'd like to do future. that. Great. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you for listening, folks. I would remind you that on tomorrow's program, Richard Wurzel rejoins us. He was with us so oh, three or four months ago. Um, he's the futurist, and he's going to talk about the next 20 years of your life in Canada. He has some very interesting things to say. The last time, had a ton of, of requests after the show for his book, Where Do We Get It? How Do We Get It? Uh, so we're going to have him back. We'll talk some more about it, and we'll tell you where to get the book, too. Also, uh, we take a quick look at the... Royal Wedding on the weekend, for those of you who are into that sort of thing. Uh, Amazon.com, a wonderful success story, and what does it mean for the future of books in our community and our society? We'll take a quick uh, thumbnail sketch of the election in New Brunswick, some interesting changes there. And uh, starting tomorrow, our new feature with our, our good friends from Gardner Auctions, Paul and Tiffany. Uh, we're going to find out what those treasures in your attic and your basement are worth. Uh, not necessarily dollars and cents, but we're going to send you on the right, right path to find that out, too, and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. That's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Talk of the Town. Thank you for listening today. A reminder, ask the experts today at 1230 with Bud Polhill, our automotive pro. Join us for that. We've got a great prize you can win, too. And, uh, what else do I have to tell you? I think that's about it. Well, for Ryan and Kathleen and Lloyd and Sandy, it's Jim saying thank you so much for listening today. Please take care of each other. Mind how you go. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.